stop. Take a moment with me. Close your eyes for a second, if you will, and think back to when you were a little kid. Maybe you were four years old. Maybe you were five, or maybe you were even a little bit older. What was it that you wanted to be? What was the dream? Way, way back when the sky was the limit and the possibilities were endless in this big, big world, what did you want to be when you grew up? You can open your eyes now. I know for me, when I think back to this, um, when I was little, I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be a ballet dancer, and I wanted to be a vet all at once. Now, I mean, where I am now, uh, I got one of the three. I mean, I get to sing for a living, leading worship, and working with our team. So not too bad, hitting one of the three dreams. But so often when we're little, we tend to dream big, right? I mean, anybody who has spent time with kids, you don't have to um, spend a long time with them or a long time talking to them to know that they dream big, don't they? There's no limits to what they can dream up. To a kid, nothing is impossible. The possibilities are endless and ever-changing. See, when we're little, we often dream about growing up. We dream about the future. We dream about everything that could be. Wide-eyed and full of wonder, we expect great things and we dream big. But see, something tends to happen as we get older, doesn't it? I notice that as time goes on and we get older or we go through things in life, because of circumstances, because of pain, because of heartbreak, because of things like discouragement or disappointment, and the other realities of life that can come our way, we can actually end up losing our childlike wonder, our, our heart of faith and expectation, and we can actually stop dreaming. Now, personally, I don't believe that this is God's heart for his people. See, I believe that the Lord gives dreams for a reason and a purpose, and that the dreams that God gives are actually meant to be fulfilled. Now, truthfully, sometimes the dreams that God gives are generational. I mean, I think about people like King David in the Bible. He's known as one of the greatest kings in all of Israel, and he had a dream to build a temple for the Lord but it was a generational dream. See, when he told God, he was like, hey, I want to actually build this temple for you. God was like, okay, that's great, but it's actually your son that's meant to build it. And so while David had a hand in the preparation of the dream, it was his son that actually fulfilled it. So sometimes dreams are generational, but sometimes they aren't. Sometimes dreams are actually meant for us to step into and walk into. I think of people like Nehemiah in the Bible. That he was somebody that had a dream from the Lord, something that the Lord put on his heart, and he had a dream to rebuild 
the walls of Jerusalem. See, what had happened is the people of God <laughs> weren't quite serving the Lord, and so as a result, they get thrown into exile, and the city of Jerusalem is sieged, and Nehemiah, who's working in the court of a, um, a foreign king, hears about it, and he's so heartbroken over it. He's like, I need to go, and I, I, I need to rebuild this wall. It's a dream that God put on his heart, and so he goes, and he steps into it, and he actually fulfills that dream. He gathers the people together, despite all of the opposition, and they rebuild the wall. Now, if you think about it, throughout history, some of the most impactful, life-changing moments happened because God gave dreams to people. People like Martin Luther King Jr. He had a dream to end segregation and discrimination in the United States to see equality amongst all people. I think of people as well like William Booth, who during his prayer time, he actually ended up having a literal picture from God of people that were in an ocean and they were struggling and they were drowning and then there was a bunch of people on the shore that were watching and they just didn't care about the people that were drowning. And from this picture, God actually birthed a dream for William Booth to help the people in society that were maybe marginalized or struggling while actually sharing the gospel. And um, that actually turned into an organization called the Salvation Army that still today reaches countless people across the world. I think of people like Mother Teresa who had a dream of helping the poorest of poor people. And so as a result of this, she actually moves as a single woman, which again, not easy to do, not entirely safe, but she moves to India into the, the poorest part to help the people in any way that she can, however she could, and had profound impact. Now, there are countless other individuals, but we still hear of the impact that these individuals had today. Now, I think it's also really easy to look at these individuals and say, yeah, like, they did such amazing things, but, like, come on, Pastor, like, be realistic. Like, I can't do that. You're comparing, like, Mother Teresa to me, right? But, church, the reality is, is that these were just regular people like you and I. See, everything that they accomplished, everything that they did was first birthed from a dream that God had put on their heart. And church, I believe that we as a people are called to dream. See, far too often as we go through life, we can allow our situations and our circumstances to actually sow the seeds of disappointment and discouragement, which when we don't actually deal with that, in turn affects not only our ability to dream, but eventually our outcome. Because, you see, the truth is that what we believe determines our actions. And we can actually end up limiting ourselves. See, we end up losing faith. And instead of moving forward and stepping into the things that God has called us or asked us to do, we stop. We hang back. Because of things like fear, 
Things like pain, things like disappointment or discouragement. I mean, think about it. Imagine if all those people that I had mentioned, Martin Luther King Jr., William Booth, Mother Teresa, if they had never actually stepped out and stepped forward and acted on the dream and the things that God had put on their heart, I mean, I imagine that our world would probably look very different today. (laughs) And while I didn't know them personally, I can almost guarantee that when these individuals began to step into the things that the Lord was calling them to, step into the things that the Lord had put on their heart, that they didn't fully realize or even fathom the impact that they would have. And yet, because they were obedient, because they were willing to be used, because they were willing to step into the things that God was calling them into, even though it might have been scary, they were used in amazing ways. I mean, you think about it. With every single one of those individuals, literally generations were impacted and changed. And church, in the same way, I believe that when we walk in simple obedience to the Lord, when we begin to step forward and move into the things that God has called us and asked us to, that we don't fully know the impact of how God can actually use us or use that dream to reach people for the kingdom. See, the truth is, while our dream may not be the same as what we expected or even wanted when we were a little kid, I do believe that God still births dreams beyond anything that we could ever imagine or hope for, and it's good. It's not easy. In fact, A lot of the time, my experience, when the Lord births dreams, it's really hard. You might even have to work a little bit, but it's good. See, the dreams that God gives are good because he's good. So I wanted to ask you, what is the dream? If you had unlimited resources, unlimited time, unlimited finances, nothing to hinder, no excuses, what would you do? What is the dream that God has given you and put into your heart? You see, in Genesis 37, we find a dreamer, and his name is actually Joseph. Now, Joseph came from a very large family, of uh, 12 brothers, and he was actually the youngest. And um, if you don't know your Bible stories too well, this is a different Joseph than the one that ends up marrying Mary and becoming Jesus' dad. This is a Joseph that was like way before Jesus in our timeline, okay? But in Genesis 37, we find Joseph. Now, Joseph is the ripe young age of 17. And Joseph, like all younger siblings, I think, can agree, had a very special duty that he faithfully took care of. You see, Joseph would occasionally go and rat out his older brothers. 
But we find him in uh, Genesis 37. So let's read it. Genesis 37, 2 to 11. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bila and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Some translations call it a colorful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. See, church, I think when it comes to the story of Joseph, there's actually a few things that we can learn. And the first is this. When God gives a dream, be careful who you share your dream with. Be careful who you share your dream with. See, in the passage that we just read, when Joseph had shared his dreams that God had put on his heart, that God had given him, his brothers didn't respond with joy and excitement and, ah, oh, Joseph, that's amazing. No. His brothers actually responded with a greater measure of anger and hatred, jealousy. See, they were already angry with him. And Joseph, in his excitement, just wanted to share what God had spoken. Now, Joseph was young. I mean, in this passage, he's 17. And this is not a knock at any 17-year-old. But the truth is, is that Joseph probably hadn't learned to discern who he should share his dreams with and when he should share them, right? Um, just general wisdom. Uh, when people are angry at you or there's tension, um, that's probably not the moment to share your dreams with somebody or the things that God has put on your heart. Um, but Joseph didn't realize this. Now, in addition to this, Joseph hadn't discerned how he should have shared the things that God had shown him. See, how many people here know that when you speak to somebody, 
sometimes the wording, our tone, the way we, we, um, we say things can actually affect how well somebody can receive it or not, right? In the passage that we read, it actually states that Joseph's brothers hated him more, not just because of the dream, but because of the way that he talked about it. Now, I think you can almost hear it when you read through the passage, but Joseph, being the youngest, um, you know, he was, he was the favorite. He was the baby. Um, he was probably used to getting his way, maybe even a little spoiled. And so when he spoke, he was, he was probably a little bit prideful and arrogant about it, right? Like he was probably just that annoying little brother that was used to getting his way and was like, ha, 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 look, look what God showed me. You guys are going to be bowing, right? Which in turn affected how he spoke, which in turn affected how his brothers received it, which is not well. Now, church, in the same way, I think sometimes we can be a little bit like Joseph and jump the gun, can't we? We get excited because God has spoken or shown us a, a dream or spoken something to our heart. And in our excitement, we just want to tell people, which like, yeah, we should get excited about the things that the Lord speaks and the things that the Lord shows us. But in our excitement, sometimes we can actually end up sharing our dreams with the wrong people, with people who, because of tension or because of jealousy, are not for us. They're people who don't actually want the best for us. People who won't actually be real with us. They won't actually tell us how they're feeling. And they won't pray or encourage us. Matthew 12, 34. says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning what? Well, meaning that whatever is in your heart will end up coming out either in your word or your actions. And we actually see this with Joseph's brothers, right? Like the hatred in their heart became so strong that it actually affected how they spoke to him. They, they couldn't actually speak to him nicely. And then it eventually affected their actions as they sold their brother into slavery. They rejected the dreams and the things that Joseph had shared. Now, I'm sure we all have stories of sharing things with the wrong people. This was something that I had experienced actually right before moving here. See, I had applied to, to this job and a couple others and then went through the process and then got hired here as the full-time worship pastor. And then when it was official and the time was getting close for me to move, I started telling um, my close friends and the people around me. And everyone was pretty excited. Like, they were like, oh, my goodness, like, this is an amazing opportunity. Like, we can see the Lord is leading you. And I knew that this was definitely, like, the Lord that was bringing me here. And, uh, yeah, they were excited. They were like, we'll pray for you. Um, however, I had one friend who I had been quite close with at that time. And uh, when I went to share with them, um, my dream of being a full-time worship pastor um, was being fulfilled. They very visibly changed, and they got very angry. And unfortunately, like Joseph's brothers, they rejected what I had shared. Now, 
through prayer and praying for that individual, I realized that it came from a place of anger and frustration in their own life because of their own circumstances at the time. However, I realized that it was also the wrong person to share the dream with. Now, please hear me out. I'm not saying that you should only share with people that will pat you on the back and be like, oh, yeah, that's great. You should do that. No, no, no. Like, we need people in our lives that are going to be real with us, that will encourage us, yes, but who will also say, hey, um, I see some decisions that you're making that are maybe not wise, who will be real with us and honest with us when we're making mistakes or just bad life choices. But the truth is, we need to be careful who we share our dreams with. Now, the other thing that we can do in our excitement and our joy when the Lord speaks is we can even share our dreams with the right people, but it can be the wrong timing. And then as a result of that, have it not received well by that individual. Now, church, this is where it's important that when we receive a dream or when the Lord puts something on our heart, we have to actually pray about it. Pray about it and ask the Lord, first off, if we're supposed to share that with somebody. And then if the Lord says yes, asking who we should share it with. And then if the Lord tells us who, praying about the timing and when we should share that word. Because the reality is, is that if we don't actually take the time to pray and to discern, then I believe that we can actually end up opening ourselves to things like pain, rejection, heartbreak, and even discouragement. As it could be, again, the wrong moment to share or even the wrong group of people. Proverbs 10, verse 8, says, The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. See, church, we need to be wise. We need to pray. And we need to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, if God tells us to share our dreams with somebody, then by all means, we should. But if God says to wait, or if God says don't share with that person, then we need to walk in obedience to that because I believe that this actually provides protection not only for our hearts but for the dream and the things that God is calling us to. Which brings me to my second point. See, when God gives a dream, sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. Now, I'm going to summarize the next little bit um, because if you actually read the story of Joseph, um, it's quite long, like it's quite a few chapters. So this is the condensed version. But basically, if you read in the chapters ahead, Joseph actually ends up having to pay a high price for sharing his dream with the wrong people. See? Because his brothers actually hated him so much. One day, when Joseph goes to check on his brothers, they end up grabbing him and throwing him into a pit. And then as they're just kind of there having lunch break, Joseph's still in the pit, they see this caravan going by, and they're like, hey, why don't we just sell him? We'll just sell him, and then we'll be done with the problem. He's gone. 
So this is what his brothers actually do. They take Joseph and they sell him into slavery where he's then taken to Egypt. And then (laughs) some brothers, they actually steal that robe that his father gave him, cover it in blood, and then they go back to their dad and say, yeah, so we don't know what happened, but Joseph's dead, breaking their father's heart. So Joseph is a slave, gets taken to Egypt, and he actually does surprisingly well as a slave in Egypt. Um, you know, he's, he's a really hard worker, and he's really faithful. And so God puts his favor on Joseph, and as a servant, as a slave, Joseph kind of rises in rank in somebody's house, and he's kind of second in command. But then in a turn of events, Joseph is actually falsely accused of something that he was completely innocent of. And ancient Egyptian courts, they don't function like ours. It wasn't like you're innocent until proven guilty. It was like, well, this person in authority says you're guilty, so you're guilty. So he gets thrown into prison. And then while Joseph is in prison, some of Pharaoh's workers also get sent to prison because they wronged Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer get sent there. And so they're sitting there with Joseph, and they both have dreams. And God actually gives Joseph this really cool gift, which is to be able to interpret dreams that people have when they're sleeping. And it's God who gives Joseph the interpretation, but it's a gift that he has. And so these guys are struggling with these dreams, and they don't understand what they mean. And so they decide to tell Joseph, and Joseph basically interprets them for them. And what ends up happening, what Joseph basically discerns, ends up coming true. And so the baker ends up being hanged, and the cupbearer ends up going free and working for Pharaoh again. And as as he's going free, Joseph is like, hey, remember me when you're out there because I'm here in prison, and, like, I shouldn't be here. Like, I'm innocent. And the cupbearer is like, yeah, okay, cool, I'll remember you. And as soon as he's out, totally forgets Joseph. So Joseph is just sitting in prison for two years, forgotten. But then after two years, divine appointment happens. See, Pharaoh actually ends up having a dream while he's asleep. And when he wakes up, he he can't get this dream out of his head, and it's really bothering him. And so he asks around, and nobody in the court can actually figure out what this dream means. And then this cupbearer, all of a sudden remembers Joseph. So he's like, hey, Pharaoh, there was this guy that was in the prison. And, you know, I had a dream, and, and he was able to interpret it. He, he knew what it meant, and what he had said actually ended up coming true. So maybe, it, maybe he can interpret your dream. And so Pharaoh's like, okay, we'll give it a shot. So they call Joseph out of prison. They clean him up. And he goes before Pharaoh, and, and he's actually able to interpret the dream. Again, it's God who gives the interpretation. And basically what the dream amounts to is this. It was like God was kind of warning Pharaoh what was going to happen. And so there was seven years that were going to happen of just like abundance in terms of harvest and grain. They would have more than enough. But then after these seven years, there was going to be a famine. Complete and total devastation. So God in his goodness and sovereignty not only gives Joseph the interpretation of the dream, but he also gives Joseph a plan. 
He gives Joseph a plan of how to prepare for the famine and what to do. And so during these years of plenty, they end up storing up the grain. And, and Pharaoh is so pleased with this plan that he actually decides to make Joseph the second in command in the entire country, in all of Egypt. So literally, Joseph has just gone in the matter of moments from wallowing in a prison for two years to all of a sudden being second in command in the entire nation. Second only under Pharaoh. And so the years of plenty happen and Joseph is storing up all of the grain and then the famine hits. And see, when the famine hit, it didn't just hit Egypt, but it hit all of the surrounding nations. And Egypt was so prepared that the surrounding nations started actually traveling to Egypt in order to buy grain. So then we come to Genesis 42, verse 1 to 9. It says, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. See, Joseph saw the dream that God had shown him, had put on his heart, fulfilled. However, he had to actually wait 23 years before he saw that dream fulfilled. And you can actually, if you read through the passages, you can actually see that and track that in scripture because it actually mentions how long in the years. But the reality is, is that the dream that was given by God to Joseph when he was 17 years old took 23 years before it was fulfilled. See, church, sometimes when the Lord gives a dream, we have to wait. Now, truthfully, part of this, I believe, is maturity and timing. See, if you think about it, at 17, Joseph was quite young. And again, he was the youngest, so he was probably a little bit spoiled, probably a little bit arrogant, a little prideful. And he hadn't experienced enough things or grown enough at that age in life to have been able to actually handle what he needed to be second in command in Egypt, right? Like you think about it, at 17, Joseph probably didn't have the compassion or the empathy 
that he would have needed to be in that position and to actually sell the grain to the people. His character at 17 probably would not have had the the capacity and the maturity to be able to carry the weight of the calling or the dream that he ended up stepping into when he was 40 years old, 23 years later. Isaiah 48, verse 10, says, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Other translations call it the furnace of affliction. Now, I know I've said this before, but anyone who's been in the furnace of suffering or the furnace of affliction knows that it's not a nice place, right? Like, nobody actually likes being there. It's, it's painful and it's, it's hard. I mean, you think about it. Joseph, he was betrayed by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood, and thrown into slavery. You didn't know if he would see them again. It's painful. Then, as a slave, you know, he's working hard. He's doing the best that he can. And then he's, he's falsely accused of something he didn't even do. He's thrown into prison and he, he suffers. It's painful. And yet, he always kept his hope in the Lord. See, the reality is, is that Joseph could have become bitter. He could have become angry with God, right? God, this isn't what you showed me. God, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. I'm stuck here in a prison when you said that, you know, I would be in authority. You said that things would be different. Now I've been separated from my family. I'm stuck in a place I don't want to be. He could have become angry, but he didn't. See, instead, Joseph still chose to trust and rely on God despite his circumstances, despite the suffering in the waiting season. See, I actually believe that it was in that season when he was going through the furnace of affliction while still in that waiting season that God was actually able to teach. He is actually able to mentor and shape Joseph into the leader that he was both called and needed to be, to, to build his character, to be able to handle and contain the capacity so that he would be able to carry his dream and calling and be able to step into it when the time was right and for it to be fulfilled. But again, it was in the waiting. While Joseph was also in that furnace of suffering or affliction that God was able to do this. Not in the other seasons. Right? Like you think about it, if pride was actually a thing that Joseph struggled with, it's pretty humbling to sit in prison, forgotten for two years. See, I believe we grow the most, not when we're in those mountaintop, life is good moments, but it's actually when we're in the furnace of suffering. Because then we're actually positioned in a place where we can actually hear the Lord where we can actually learn to walk in humility and follow his leading, where we can actually allow the Lord to teach and equip us, to, to refine us into who we're called to be and need to be. Now, sometimes we also have to wait because the timing isn't right. 
Genesis 45, 1 to 8, says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. See, Joseph was placed in the right position at the right time. The reality is, is that if Joseph had actually been put in that position earlier or later, he might not have actually been prepared or willing to help his family, right? Like you think about it, if Joseph had been in that position earlier, he could have still been angry, vengeful at being betrayed. And, and then when he encountered his brothers, well, he could have done the same to them, put them in slavery, killed them, made them suffer, not sell them the grain. But then if Joseph had been in that position later on, then it would have actually been too late because with the timing, like if, if he had been put in there later, they wouldn't have been able to store up the necessary grain that was needed so that they could survive through the famine. See, Joseph was actually strategically placed in God's perfect timing so that at the appointed time, God would actually be glorified and the people could be saved. Now, church, in the same way, sometimes we wait for the dream or for the things that God has shown us to be fulfilled, and we don't always know why, but sometimes we wait because the timing isn't right. However, like Joseph, we can trust in the Lord and his timing. Numbers 23 Verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? See, church, the truth is, if God has spoken, if God has actually given you a dream or spoken a word, then he'll fulfill it. It might take time. It might be hard, and you might have to wait, but he'll fulfill it. We just need to be willing, obedient, as we follow his leading. So you might be thinking, okay, pastor, that's, that's cool, that's great, um, but how do I know that my dream is actually from the Lord? So I'm going to give you a couple, like, practical things, okay? First question to ask, is it in line with Scripture? 
um, this is a very extreme example, but if your dream is to go and rob a bank, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's probably not the Lord. Um, as it goes against, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, um, don't steal. Um, so if it goes against Scripture, probably not the Lord. But if it is in line with Scripture, whether that's, um, you know, helping people, loving your neighbor, um, adopting, it could be a good chance that that's from the Lord. Now, oftentimes as well, in my experience, when the Lord does speak and he gives a dream or puts um, something in your heart, he also confirms it. And uh, he either does that through scripture, so through the Bible, his word, or through other people. The second question to ask would be, can you do it in your own strength? See, again, in my experience, oftentimes when God does speak and he gives a dream or puts something on our hearts, um, it's often so big that we actually can't do it in our own strength. And, and a lot of times it's actually like a very overwhelming thing. See, I've learned that God has this amazing tendency to lead us beyond our comfort zone. And he might even lead you into things that are unknown. Isaiah 42, verse 16 says, I, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. See, one of the amazing things about the Lord is that when he does give a dream and he leads us, he leads us. He orders our steps and he directs us and tells us which way we should go as long as we're willing to listen. But he never leaves us or abandons us, even in those unknown areas. So I wanted to ask, what's in your hand? As I mentioned earlier, people like Martin Luther King Jr., William Booth, Mother Teresa, and yes, even Joseph, did amazing, remarkable things. And as I've mentioned, I'm sure that as these people began to step and walk in the things that God was calling them to, they never even imagined or could fathom the impact that they would have when they stepped into those things. But see, the reality is, is they were willing and they actually moved and stepped into those things with what they had. So what is in your hand? What has God given you? What has he called you to? See, the things that God has put in your hands are things like our time. They're things like our giftings, our abilities, our passion. So what will you do? What is the dream? As I said, I still believe that God is a God who births dreams and maybe he's called you into ministry, but that's not really what I'm getting at this morning. I, I Personally, I don't think that's the only dream that God gives. Maybe you have a dream to adopt a child and make a difference in the life of that one kid. Maybe you have a dream to go to school and fulfill the, the things that God is calling you to, asking you to. Maybe you have a dream to start a business. And, and be a light that way in the community. 
or to be a, a teacher, to equip and train little ones. Or maybe you have a dream to work out in the bush and just be a light with the people that you work with, wherever you are. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, I don't think I know everybody here this morning, so I want to give the opportunity. You know, it's really hard to have a dream from the Lord um, when you don't have a relationship with him. And oftentimes we, we can try to do things in our own strength, of our own sheer will, but I find that that's oftentimes when we get ourselves into trouble, isn't it? That's oftentimes when we get into those difficult seasons where we face the furnace of suffering or affliction, we're quick to give up. However, no matter where we are at, even if we've gotten off course, God can still redeem and he can still birth new things. We just need to follow his leading and be obedient. So I would like to pray and give the opportunity if you um, want a relationship with the Lord, um, we're just going to pray a little prayer. Um, and if the rest of you guys can just repeat after me as well, uh, just so no out loud, um, just so nobody uh, feels left out. So, uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying on the cross and all that you've done. I ask you now to forgive me of all my mistakes and sins. Come into my heart and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing for this message this weekend, I actually got a sense God had given people dreams. And maybe it was like a while back. But because of pain, because of discouragement, and the realities of life, maybe you've let those things go or you've shelved them. And I, I believe that God wants to revive those things again. See, I don't believe that God gives dreams for them to be shelved or for them to just sit and think, well, oh, yeah, like that was, that was a nice thought. That was a nice dream. No, no, no. God gives dreams for a reason and a purpose, and they're meant to be fulfilled. So we're going to pray that God would revive those things once again. And I also want to pray for people that maybe, maybe you feel like you've never had a dream from the Lord or um, maybe you're struggling with like your purpose or what to do. So I'm going to actually pray that God would birth new dreams for you here in this place. And we're going to pray. Um, so Lord Jesus, we thank you for each and every single person here. And God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each person in this place. God, right now we just pray for the people that, um, God, maybe you've given them a dream or you've given them a word, but Lord, because of discouragement or disappointment, they've allowed it to be shelved or they've allowed it to die. Lord, we just call to life those dreams once again. God, if there's anybody who, because of pain or, or heartbreak or disappointment, discouragement, Lord, they've allowed those things to die. God, we just speak healing to those hearts. And as they begin to step and walk into the things that you've asked them, and called them to, Lord, that they would even begin to receive healing through that. Lord, that they wouldn't allow the, the pain of their past to hinder their future. God, that you would once again stir up their heart, their, their passion. Lord, if, if there's somebody here that's allowed their passions to die, 
God, that you would revive it right now in Jesus' name. God, that they would, um, <laughs> yeah, be excited for the call, the mission, the vision that you've placed over their life, the dream. Lord, whatever it is that they would walk with confidence and boldness. And Lord, as they're walking into those things, Holy Spirit, that they would keep their eyes set on you. Lord, that um, they wouldn't be fearful or afraid or they wouldn't listen to the voice of the enemy when the enemy tries to send discouragement or disappointment whatever it is lord that they would walk in confidence and boldness and lord that your voice would be the loudest out of any other god that they wouldn't turn to the right or to the left but lord you would continue to order their steps as that verse that we read says that you would make those rough places smooth lord that as they step into those things that they would see your hand move in a greater way than they, than they have ever seen. God, we also pray for those people that um, maybe feel like they've never had a dream from you. They, they don't know their purpose. God, I just pray right now that you would just infuse and birth fresh dreams in this place. Lord, we pray fresh creativity, fresh wisdom, fresh anointing, and we release those dreams. God, we release your people to walk into those things that you've called and you've asked us to. We thank you. God, we thank you for what we're going to see birthed from this weekend. God, I also just pray um, for wisdom and discernment. If we're meant to share our dreams with people or pull other people to be involved in this, God, that you would show us who, when, and God, you would set the right people in the right places. In Jesus' name.